is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning here on KGMI. And we're actually remote today. We're sitting in a hotel room over in Ellensburg. Uh, 12 hours ago, we were in Pullman, so we're headed home, but uh, had a great cougar wind last night and kind of point out the uh, tremendous touchdown scored by Leighton Smithson from Chuckson's high school grad. He scored a 98-yard kickoff return for us. It was kind of exciting to see that. A little FYI, I do uh, donate money to the NIL program or process, and Leighton is one of the five Whatcom County athletes that I help support that are athletes at Washington State. Uh, we went through a process trying to identify those. If there's, if there's listeners locally, I, we've committed to uh, supporting Whatcom County athletes that are over at Washington State. If we're missing somebody, if you know somebody, you can always give me a call, 733-1200 at the office. Let me know. Uh, we do want to encourage Washington County athletes to go, go compete for Washington State. So uh, anyway, hats off to Leighton last night. Uh, first time in five years we've had a run back for a, a kickoff return, and uh, it was really fun to watch. Anyway, let's go ahead and get into this week's weekly wrap-up. And we saw that it was another winning week for the stock market, the S&P 500, which flirted with 4,100 in late October, closed above the 4,500 level on Friday. The positive bias was partially driven by recognition that there wasn't a lot of selling activity after the big run, along with fear of missing out on further gains during a seasonally strong time of the year of the market. Mega cap stocks contributed to index performance, but the broader market experience was more robust buying interest. The market cap weighted S&P 500 rose 2.2% this week. The S&P 500 equal weight jumped 3.4%, and the mega cap growth ETF was also up about 2.1%. The bulk of this week's gains following the October Consumer Price Index on Tuesday, which corroborated that the notion that the Fed is done raising rates. The report, along with the October producer price index, the October retail sales, the weekly sales initial, uh, weekly initial jobless claims, and the October housing starts data all seemed consistent with a soft landing scenario for the economy. The Fed funds future market priced out the probability of an additional rate hikes by the Fed and now sees about a 61.7% chance or probability at the first rate cut will take place in May of next year, according to the CME FedWatch tool. Tuesday's yields took a sharp turn lower in response to the data and the idea that the Fed is done raising rates. The two-year note yield fell 15 basis points this week to 4.9%. The 10-year note yield declined 19 basis points to 4.44%. The rate-sensitive S&P 500 sectors registered some of the largest gains, but all 11 sectors traded higher this week. The real estate index is up 4.5%, financials up 33 
Utilities are also up 3%. Those were the standouts. The consumer staples up 6 tenths of 1%. Energy was up 9 tenths of 1%. Those were the only sectors that gained less than 1% on the week. Market participants were digesting another batch of earnings news. Walmart and Target headlined the calendar, both making uh, mention of a more cautious-minded consumer. Still, Target registered a big gain after reporting results. Gap, Ross Stores, and Macy's were also standout winners after reporting earnings. Leading chip requirement, uh, leading chip equipment maker Applied Materials also reported in earnings and logged a decline following a Reuters report that is the subject of a de Department of Justice criminal probe <coughs> over shipments to China, the China's top tip maker, SMIC. In other news, Congress passed a continued resolution to avoid a government shutdown. The President uh, Biden and President Xi agreed to resume high-level direct military talks. There was also bilateral cooperation in combating global illicit drug manufacturing and trafficking. Looking ahead, markets will be closed on this Thursday for Thanksgiving. They'll also close at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday in observance of Thanksgiving. Here are some summaries of the daily action for the week. <coughs> the major indices settled the session little change on Monday from the heels of Friday's rally. Early selling pressure driven in part by a sense that the market is due for some consolidation as stocks modestly lower right out of the gate. The major indices climbed off of their worst levels though after the S&P 500 found support on a test of the 4400 level hitting 4393 at its low. There was general lack of conviction from both buyers and sellers ahead of Tuesday's re release of the October Consumer Price Index. Boeing was a standout winner in the Dow Jones Industrial Average after news that it had received multiple orders from Dubai Airshow and a Bloomberg report that China is considering ending its freeze of Boeing with a new 737 MAX deal. The move higher in the stock market also coincided with the Treasury pulling back from, all, from their interday high yields. Monday's economic data was limited to the October true Treasury report, which showed a deficit, a deficit of $66.6 billion compared with a deficit of $87.9 billion in the same period a year ago. But the deficit in October resulted from outlays of $470 billion. Those exceeded receipts of $403.4 billion. The Treasury budget is not seasonally adjusted, so the October 23 deficit cannot can be compared with September deficit of last year, which or um, September deficit of this year, which is 170.7 billion. On Tuesday, we saw that the major indices closed with uh, sizable gains, ending near their highs on the day with heavier than average volume. The S&P 500. Uh, flirted with a 4,100 level on October 27th, is trading at 4,500 its high before settling the session just below that level. The Russell 2000 surged 5.4%, which left the index positive for the year. Equities reacted to a sharp drop in rates on the heels of the better-than-expected October Consumer Price Index, or CPI, which corroborated the market's thinking that the Fed is done raising rates. The Fed Fund's future market priced out the probability 
of an additional rate hikes by the Fed, which now sees a 65.4% probability of the first hike in May of 24, according to the CME FedWatch tool. Buying activity was broad-based, with just about everything coming along for the rally. Home Depot was the individual standout after reporting pleasing third-quarter results. So reviewing Tuesday's economic data, we saw the CPI was came in flat, 0.0. Prior was 0.4% gain. We saw the October core CPI at points to up to two, up two tenths of one percent. And the key takeaway from this report is that inflation is moving in the right direction. And because it is, the market will continue to believe that the Fed won't be moving target range for the Fed funds in any higher. On Wednesday, the market had a decent showing. The major indices added modest gains, continuing a rally that began after Tuesday's CPI bet data. The S&P 500 closed just above the 4,500 level with a two-tenths of 1% gain, which is still impressive considering that the S&P is up 9.4% since October 27th. The thinking that the Fed has done raising rates contributed to positive bias following another patch of economic data that seemed consistent with the soft landing scenario for the economy. The positive bias is also supported by a huge gain in Target following its better-than-expected earnings results, a lingering fear that missing out on future gains during a seasonality strong time of the market year. In spite of the uh, uh, pleasing economic data, Treasuries experienced some selling after the uh, Tuesday's big gains. And reviewing Wednesday's economic data, we saw that the Mortgage Bankers Association application index is up 2.8%. October retail sales were actually down a tenth of 1%, and October retail sales, if you exclude autos, were up one-tenth of 1%. The key takeaway from this report is that it isn't adjusted for inflation, so it's clear that the consumer demand for goods uh, left off noticeably from September. We also saw the October producer price index come in at down a half a percent, the prior was revised uh, to up uh, 2.4% from up 0.5. And the key takeaway from this report is that it reflects a sharp moderation in prices at the wholesale level, which should remain relatively subdued, barring a future jump in energy prices, as the index for unprocessed goods and intermediate demand was down 1.4%. The November Empire State Manufacturing Index came in at 9.1. Prior month was down 4.6 and the September business inventories came in at plus 0.4. The prior month was also plus 0.4. Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks. GMC, I've done a great job with the new trucks. I'm blown away. Xavier Cortez is the owner of Northwest Chevrolet Buick GMC Cadillac. I love trucks. I really love trucks. Matter of fact, if you ever see me driving something around town, it's going to be a truck. But what they've done with a new model is absolutely amazing. Yes, I've thought that GMC had really good competition with the other brands. But what they have rolled out this year and what they're coming with is absolutely untouchable. Great quality, super cool technology. How they look, how they drive, is can't compare with nothing in the market right now. Not because I sell it, because I, I'm a big fan of other makes and models. It's just because it's true. I've driven them, and I'm absolutely in awe. GMC. We are professional grade. 
Northwest Chevrolet, Buick, GMC Cadillac. I'm Secretary of State Steve Hobbs. Voting for the general election ended November 7th, but results are not final until counties certify later this month. Your local election office will continue receiving ballots that were postmarked by Election Day and will make sure every valid vote counts. Check the status of your ballot by visiting votewa.gov. That's V-O-T-E-W-A dot G-O-V. Sponsored by the Office of Secretary of State and aired in cooperation with the Washington State Association of Broadcasters and this station. KGMI Connects with Joe Tian is about our community and you. Yeah, I happen to believe that the Bellingham, Whatcom County, uh, the Fraser River Delta, and Nooksack is an enormous healing area. Each weekday at 4 p.m. I'm the old dog. When I walk down railroads, I'm the one who knows who just got here and who didn't. I see them, they're so angry from where they came from, and then through the years, they mellow out because there's a healing energy here. On KGMI 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning and live with a remote today. And if you want to get a hold of us, we are Asset Advisors. Uh, we are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center. That's out there next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And give us a call. We'd love to meet with you. love to talk to you. Continuing on with this week's economic data, we saw that on Thursday that the S&P 500, which closed above 4,500, and the NASDAQ composite eked out slim gains thanks to support from the make-it-cap stocks. The broader market, meanwhile, experienced some normal consolidation, but losses were modest compared to the size of the recent gains. We saw big negative reactions to disappointing earnings and or guidance from Walmart. Cisco and Palo Alto Networks, which helped create an excuse for the market participants to take some profits. Oil prices slid to 92, or 72.92 a barrel. That was down $3.64, or down 4.8%. In response to a slowdown worries and technical selling after closing below their 200-day moving averages. We saw Thursday's economic data. We saw weekly initial job claims come in at 231,000. We saw continuing claims at 1.865 million. The key takeaway from this report is that the fits the Fed's preferred script of seeing some soft landing in the labor market. Initial claims are at their highest level since August, and continuing claims are at their highest level since November of 21. A whole slew of additional economic data we saw at the October export price index was down 1.1. The October export prices, except for agriculture, were also down about 1%. The October import price index was down 8 tenths of 1%. And if you took out the import prices, again, excluding oil, they were down about 2 tenths of 1%. We saw that the November Philadelphia Fed index was down 5.9. October's industrial production was down 6 tenths of 1%. October's capacity utilization was at 78.9.
So the key takeaway from these reports is that it is adversely affected by the UAW strike, which has since ended. Motor vehicle and parts production, therefore, should turn into a tailwind for November uh, industrial production, which is thought is which is a thought that takes some of the sting out of the disappointing headline number for the month of October. Going on into November's uh, NHB housing index was also at 34. That was a decline from 40 the previous month. And on Friday, the Friday's trade had the major indices confirmed, confined, I should say, to relatively narrow ranges. Stocks closed the session off their highs, which had the S&P 500 below the 4,500 level. The Russell 2000 paced index level gains jumped 1.4% thanks to a strength in its energy components as oil prices rebounded. Relative to weakness in some of the mega cap stocks kept the major indices in check. The market cap weighted S&P 500 rose a tenth of 1%, and the white S&P 500 equal weight closed with a half a percent gain. Big gains in Ross stores and Gap after their reported earnings helped support the broader market. Reviewing Friday's economic data, we saw that total housing starts increased 1.9% month over month, but they were down 4.9% year over year to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.372 million. We also saw building permits, which is the leading indicator, were up 1.1% month over month, but that was down from 4.4% a year ago to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.4787 million uh, housing starts. The key takeaways from this report is that the building activity, particularly for the much needed single family unit, remains subdued in the face of higher costs and financing rates. Single unit starts were up just two tenths of 1% month over month, while single unit permits rose a half percent month over month. The number of single family units under construction at the end of the period was down six tenths of 1% month over month, and the number of single family units completed was down nine tenths of 1% month over month. So, year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up through Friday or yesterday was up 5.4% for the year. We saw that the NASDAQ index was up 35%, the SP 500 up 17.6%, and the Russell 2000 up 2.1%. Okay, looking at some of our high-frequency data that we follow, we find that the, and this I mentioned a minute ago, but the initial jobless claims for the week ending November 10th were 231,000. That was a decrease, or I'm sorry, that was an increase of 6.5%. Continuing jobless claims as of November 3rd, 1,865,000. That was also an increase of 1.7%. Box office receipts for the week ending November 16th hit a 23.6% increase in sales of people going to movies. Rail car traffic for the was, was up 2.6%. We saw steel production down 9 tenths of 1%. Hotel occupancy as for the week ending November 11th was 64.8%. That was an 8.5% increase week over week. TSA checkpoint data as of November 15th, 2,389,265 passengers a day going through TSA checkpoints. That was an increase of 2.9%. Supply of motor gasoline in the United States as of November 3rd, 
was also up 2.9%. And global commercial flights as of the 16th of November, 119,090 a day. That was actually down about eight tenths of 1%. Okay, I'm going to kind of I'm going to kind of cover, a, I think I'm going to jump over here and talk a little bit. Being in eastern Washington, I kind of drove over, for the, came over yesterday for the game. We drove out across the course, go all the way across the state. Uh, 7.30 at night game, long day. But uh, kind of brought me out there where I had a chance to look at all this stuff. And we're seeing that, you know, the Washington State produces about 300 different commodities that can be used on tables for this Thanksgiving. And... Uh, Basically, you look at the food-centric gatherings of families and friends are far and near. No matter how you choose to celebrate, they hold them dear. So let's look at some, start with the main event, protein. There are many turkey farms, in the, being, it's a big dish, big item of the day, on both sides of the Cascades. Beef also is the centerpiece. I saw a bunch of beef out there in different places, prime rib, brisket, tri-tip, etc., on the other side, the sides, of course, your mashed potatoes, all those potato farms, the green beans, the carrots, the Brussels sprouts, uh, all those different things are sourced out here from the state of Washington. Uh, looking at some of the sweet stuff, of course, the pastries. If you want to be the envy of every acclaimed pastry chef, of course, the locally sourced flour for your holiday pies, of course, the Palouse being the the uh, largest wheat production uh, for soft wheat in the world uh, for your cakes and cookies. And don't, of course, got the eggs and the butter. I guess the big thing I'm talking about here is just driving out across there. You realize what a huge piece or a huge impact that the state of Washington has on production of those types of items that we use. And we don't think about it a lot of times. But um, driving from one corner of the state to the other, which is basically what I did, gives you a chance to kind of reflect on that, reflect on this coming Thanksgiving holiday, and think a lot about what the farming community in this state contributes to our ability to eat, live, and our, our overall lifestyle. I'm going to come back here in a minute. Thanks for being with us. We'll be here back. How do we earn our reputation for repairs you can trust? Great mechanics? Yeah. Quality parts? Absolutely. But the real secret is knowing the most important part of every vehicle is the driver. And here's your keys. She's already Right on time. Thanks. With over 30 years of service, you can trust Bellingham Automotive to help you with any regular maintenance needs or unexpected repairs. Schedule your appointment at 360-676-5200 or visit BellinghamAutomotive.com. You know those friends who say, stop by any time, and you're like, you don't really mean that. Well, unlike those friends, Dewey Griffin Subaru's Express Certified Subaru Tire and Service Center means it. They're open six days a week, including Saturdays. Stop by any time you need an oil change or any other minor maintenance, and they'll take care of you. No appointment necessary, and you'll get a free car wash with your service. Dewey Griffin Subaru. Community-minded and community-driven. 1800 Iowa Street in Bellingham. Dedicated to service, shining a light on local individuals, law enforcement, and groups giving back to our community. Brought to you by Niederhaus of Luxury in Bellingham. 
Dedicated to Service congratulates Allied Arts of Whatcom County upon their selection this year for the Community Impact Award. Allied Arts of Whatcom County is one of nine honorees of the 2023 Governor's Arts and Heritage Awards, the highest honor bestowed by the Governor's Office for accomplishments in arts and culture. Active since 1979, the staff and volunteers of Allied Arts of Whatcom County empower artists via events and gallery space, enrich school children through education outreach, and work as local liaisons to art and enthusiasts of all ages. Congratulations to all and thank you for your service to our community. Dedicated to Service is brought to you by Neater House of Luxury. With Bellingham's finest selection of jewelry, including GIA certified diamonds and lab-grown diamonds and custom design. Neater House of Luxury, 21 Bellwether Way, Suite 107, next to Lombardi's Back Patio. We don't have the old traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Tired of inefficient heating, poor indoor air quality, and rising energy bills? Contact West Mechanical today to explore going ductless with a system from Mitsubishi Electric Heating and Air Conditioning. Find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. CBS News Brief. The biggest hospital in the Gaza Strip has been mostly evacuated, says CBS's Imtiaz Tayeb. Dozens of critically ill people, including a number of premature babies who cannot leave, will remain there with a handful of doctors and carers. Israel denies claims that it ordered people to leave the hospital. A state judge in Colorado says Donald Trump's name can appear on the presidential primary ballot. KCNC-TV's Alan Janay. Donald Trump's campaign said this is another nail in the coffin of the un-American ballot challenges. Rain will fall in some parts of the country the first few days of Thanksgiving week, says National Weather Service meteorologist Bob Orovec. It's going to impact the areas from the plains on Monday and then pressing eastward into the Midwest on Tuesday and then uh, late Tuesday into Wednesday along the East Coast. So it's going to impact a lot of people. Parts of upstate New York could get freezing rain or heavy snow on Wednesday into Thanksgiving Day. CBS News Brief. I'm Christopher Cruz. And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up Welcome back to Woke Wake Up Live Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning you know, we like to take a focus every week, kind of look at some of the things we're seeing, some of who, maybe a little in-depth look at some of the economic things that are happening. And of course, today, we're going to take a deeper look into the complexities surrounding the U.S. federal debt and who owns all that debt. So as of the end of October, the U.S. total federal debt outstanding reached a staggering $33.7 trillion. That's in the, that means in the last calendar year, we've seen a growth of 7.3% in the amount of federal debt that we have. 
And while news headlines frequently, fervently highlight this substantial expansion, an ex interesting question remains, who holds all this debt? Many believe that it's foreign countries, but it's, if that's the case, well, we're not saying that. What it, we're saying is, is it a in a, it's intergovernmental debt. So to provide a more comprehensive understanding of who holds the U.S. debt, let's take a look at it. And first of all, we're going to talk about the U.S. security holders by type. The primary holder of U.S. federal debt is, surprisingly to many, the U.S. federal government itself, accounting for approximately 40% of the outstanding debt. Following closely are various other domestic entities, collectively constituting slightly more than 35% of the debt holdings. These include mutual funds, depository institutions, state and local governments, pension funds, insurance companies, among others. And then lastly, foreign holders of U.S. debt make up just 24% of the total, comprising the diverse range of entities that are engaged in holding U.S. debt. So we find that the Federal Reserve and government accounts for over $10 trillion of that federal debt that's outstanding. Then let's take a look at foreign ownership of treasuries. As of August of this year, foreign holdings of U.S. debt, encompassing both governments and private investors, have reached $7.7 trillion, nearing record highs. This comes at a time when the two largest foreign holders of U.S. treasuries, which are Japan and China, have been net sellers, leading many in to infer that the U.S. is facing a shortage of debt buyers. Yet, over the last year, overall foreign holdings of U.S. debt have climbed by $214.3 billion, even though China and Japan's holdings have also shrunk by about $213 billion, meaning that excluding these two countries, foreign holdings of U.S. Treasuries grew by an even stronger $427.3 billion. Then let's also take a look at the intergovernmental holdings of U.S. Treasuries. Total federal debt outstanding stands at that $33.7 trillion, but only $26.3 of it is held by the public. The other $6.8 trillion is all intergovernmental debt, which is debt that one of the government owes to the other. This debt does not include federal debt held by Federal Reserve. This situation arises because many agencies, the most substantial being Social Security Trust, which has 30%, 37% of the intergovernmental debt, have generated more tax revenue than they immediately required. Rather than retaining the surplus, these agencies invest in treasuries, essentially transferring their SX revenue to the Treasury General Account. And in the future, these agencies will redeem their treasury notes as necessary to assess their funds. So currently, the uh, social security piece of this and the intergovernmental holdings, $2,625,457,000,000. The military retirement account makes up almost $1.6 trillion of this. The civil service retirement and disability fund is a little over $1 trillion. And other trust funds make up about $761 billion altogether. So kind of give you a little bit of a picture of who, who is holding all of that debt? 
that we have out there I'll just give you a better feel for what really is happening with all that debt gonna switch tones here talk a little bit about stock market valuations and basically we're going to talk about basically uh, multiples variable valuation multiples which price to earnings ratios and basically they don't tell investors much about the prospective returns of individual companies in our opinion however these kinds of valuation multiples may provide important information about the broad-based index sentiment so let's take a look at what they're telling us at the present time as of october of this year the s p 500's pe ratio was 17.3 times earnings that means that the average price of the stock in the s p 500 is 17.3 times what the earnings are expected to be that's potentially implying an annualized returns in the mid-range uh, mid single digits over over the next decade that means it's relatively high normally you can look at that and you can say well we're not going to have huge returns because that pe ratio was fairly high however there are a handful of what we call mega cap stocks with strong consensus estimated earnings and growth rates above 20 percent in aggregate those companies do skew the s p 500 pe higher these include stocks uh if you exclude these stocks the s p 500 pe is about two points lower or down in the 15 range and that potentially implies a higher corresponding return over the next decade given this sort of historical relationship if you look at small cap stocks however uh, many, many uh, may even look more attractive right now to long-term investors, particularly small and mid-cap growth stocks. Their valuations have been compressed by due to interest, higher interest rates. They're trading at PE multiples, which have historically produced double-digit annual returns over the next uh, following decade. And while past performance is not indicative of any future returns, investors may find it reasonable to allocate into areas of the equity market that are statistically attractive relative to history. So looking at some of those PE numbers, we're seeing that the S&P 500, what we call a small cap, cap 600 growth PE, down around 13. The same thing with the mid cap PE. So both of those are relatively low at this point in time. We're also seeing that, of course, at the S&P 500, S&P, which I said earlier, was up over 17. Uh, and the, uh, but then we have what we call those magnificent seven stocks. Basically, your, your Apple, your Alphabet, which is Google, your Amazon, your Meta platforms, Microsoft, Nvidia, and Tesla. Those seven companies make up a huge part of that index. Those are the seven companies we're talking about that uh, have got relatively high valuations at this present time and <clears throat> probably are pushing the S&P 500 index, the PE ratios up higher than what you normally would expect. We also saw that uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we're going to see something happening about the uh, shortfalls we're expecting in Social Security in less than 10 years. We saw that we had a bipartisan bill to establish a fiscal commission that could fast track Social Security cuts came out last week and um, it would establish a, a commission to address the national debt and make fast track changes to Social Security, including potential cuts. And that's according to Think Advisor report. The bill was introduced by Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Mitt Romney of Utah and co-sponsored by eight other senators from both parties. 
Critics are saying that the commission could cut Social Security and Medicare benefits behind closed doors. Nancy Altman, who's president of Social Security Works, criticized the bill, stating that the proposed commission is Robin Hood in reverse. It's multimillionaire senators plotting to steal working people's earned Social Security and Medicare benefits behind closed doors. Then we saw Maya McGinnis, who's on the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget. She applauded the bill, noting that historically commissions that have played key roles in reforming Social Security, tax policy, and fiscal issues. The bipartisan, there was also a bipartisan House version that was introduced by uh, Representative Bill Huizinga, Republican of Michigan, and Scott Peters, the Democrat of California. But in summary, the new Fiscal Stability Act would establish a fiscal commission. They would be empowered to make fast-track changes and potential cuts to Social Security. The bipartisan bill is facing criticism from the advocates, like Altman, who believe it will lead to benefit cuts being made behind closed doors without public input. We'll see what happens, but I, I can tell you, having been in this industry for as long as I have, observed uh, a number of different uh, Commissions, I guess, if you want to call it over the years, seeing what they've done. Uh, I kind of think this is a path down the right direction. I think you get a pretty strong group of people in there that can make a consensus. And obviously something needs to be done about making sure that Social Security exists in the future. A lot of people are very dependent on that. Social Security and Medicare are going to run out of money here in the next 10 years. The tax rates that we have going to result in like a 25% cut in benefits if we don't do something. So we'll hope this commission does her job and does the right thing. At any rate, Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We're going to be back here after a quick break. Thank you for being with us. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO at Barron Heating, AC Electrical and Plumbing. We are grateful to have served you for over 50 years. As a thank you for choosing Barron, we're giving back through our Barron Furnace Fund this holiday season. Thanks to you, our team is thrilled to be able to give a furnace to three families in need of heat this winter. Here at Barron, we know the importance of keeping your home safe, warm, and comfortable. The Furnace Fund will provide proper heat for a family that would otherwise go without. So as the weather gets cold, help us eliminate one more worry for those in need by giving the warmth of a furnace. If you know a family that can benefit from this gift, we want to hear about it. Visit barronheating.com for details and to recommend a deserving family now through November 30th. Barron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. Ready to upgrade your comfort system? For a limited time, Barron is offering a free water heater with the purchase of a new heating and cooling system. Don't wait. Call Barron for details today. Now is the time to upgrade your mattress and save big during DeWard & Bodie's Black Friday Early Access Sale. Shop now to upgrade your mattress and get the rest you deserve before the busy holiday season. At DeWard & Bodie, experience the largest selection of in-stock mattresses in Whatcom County. From Tempur-Pedic, Stearns & Foster, and Sealy with over 35 beds on display. Get the best savings of the season with early access to Black Friday prices on mattresses of all sizes. Save on adjustable bases, boxes, premium pillows and sheets and so much more find deep discounts on floor models and closeout mattresses with savings up to 50 percent off plus keep the cash you'll save and pay no money down and no interest for up to five years on select mattresses deward and Bodie will deliver set up and haul away your old mattress for free now is the time to upgrade your mattress and save big during deward and Bodie's black friday early access sale at the main showroom in bellingham on the guide next to marshall's financing oac offer qualifications apply 
Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you Saturday morning. As always, we appreciate you being with us. If you got questions for us, you can always give us a call. 360-733-1200. You are seeing a lot of press, a lot of information, question marks out there about artificial intelligence. So we're going to talk a little bit about the rise of AI. You know, we provide, basically, it's a high-level overview of the recent developments in AI, the implications for industries and thoughts around the investment opportunities, with the launch of OpenAI's ChatGDP late last year, it brought AI into the mainstream, capturing people's imagination, creating a shift in their competitive landscape. Historically, inadequate hardware and software have held back programmers from achieving levels of AI that make it accessible to the masses. The recent improvements both the allowed developers to break through barriers and generate a step function a change in the capabilities the next chapter in ai has begun and while much of the public discourse is focused on the implications for search uh, it, it is it is our view that ai will have a much broader impact hardware manufacturers software developers their corporate clients and end customers are all going to be affected Company earnings will be impacted based on adoption benefits to operations and and um, competition, while policymakers will need to understand how to regulate an influx of non-human inputs into labor and knowledge sharing. So how does it work? Artificial intelligence has been around for decades in various forms, but here we're going to focus on the generative AI and large language models. In short, these forms of AI rely on training and learning from large data sets to interpret user impacts and deliver reliable results. Generative AI creates output in the form of new content, chat responses, designs, and synthetic data. It operates by using probability models focused on detecting patterns, making decisions, and honing analytics from data that have been trained on and for large language models delivering the most probable next word as it constructs a sentence. AI products do not yet operate with free will. They require training on data sets with programmers to function. Data will mainly uh, our data are mainly from online sources or data warehouses that can be proprietary or open source. So what are the limitations on large language models? Programmers, they must strike a balance between data quality, quantity, and recency, all variables that impact the user's experience. They also factor in financial costs. Usually, the more data, the better. However, more data means greater costs due to, the, for example, the increased computing power needs, potential licensing demands, and more complex model training. Data quality is a priority to prevent garbage in and garbage out experience for users. It needs to be logically structured and validated to ensure that it's fit for the purpose. Keeping these models up to date and relevant is another hurdle 
because models can, can operate only according to what they have been trained to on. The models can get outdated quickly. It is established that 90% of the world's data was generated in the last two years alone. In 2010, data generated globally was increased by an estimated 60 times and is expected to more than double by 2025. So just kind of taking a look at this, we look at how data is created and how it's about to explode. Well, a zettabyte is equal to a billion terabytes. 2018, we had about 33 zettabytes. 2020, we had 47. 2025, we had 175. That's over five times increase in just that five-year period. That number is expected to go up over 612 zettabytes by 2030, and by 2035, will be over 2,142 zettabytes. That means that uh, we're looking at about 10 times expansion over the next 10 to 12 years over where we are right now. We're also seeing that there's two other limiting factors that are that are labor supply and the incremental cost for user searches. Uh, also, there's training on AI models it requires both a unique system and good enough understanding of the data to comprehend the production cycle in the market on the cost of uh, user searches. Large mo larger models, every word that they generate is a new search query that which costs uh, significantly more to run than the online search today. And while costs are falling as technology and applications improve, they remain a concern for companies that are in the near term. So who stands to benefit from AI? When it comes to AI, the winners are not yet apparent. Given the pace at which the technology is improving, shiny new objects are bound to grab our attention as many technologies first out the gate, not necessarily is the long-term winner. For now, our focus is on those holding the picks and shovels, those companies which enable the technology and benefit from increasing spending across AI platforms. Active investors can potentially benefit by determining where AI technology can improve margins by generating higher revenues while those with lower operating costs. Uh, who are some of the winners? It will be obvious suppliers of high-end uh, GPUs, cloud computing power, select software, as AI requires more data. Additionally, hardware providers will be helped by demand for high-end computers, cloud car processing centers, and the infrastructures needed for power, cooling, and data structure. And a huge drain on energy with this. A new ecosystem software developers building AI solutions is rapidly emerging. Cloud vendors already uh, monetize AI services, have the hardware platforms and capacity along with deep pockets required to build foundational models with much of the technology now available on open source platforms. The importance of size and scale is an open question. However, many incumbents are well placed to unlock value from AI early on, particularly those with economic moats and scale with respect to data. As our interface with data changes, the opportunity and cost for not having consolidated uh, information also rises. So who else is gonna benefit? Well, it's providing the execute, 
businesses that can offer improved products and services to clients. Deploying AI should provide an opportunity to widen moats, generate incremental revenue, and improve their margins. AI technology can also improve creative industries, benefit areas such as healthcare, factory autom automation, logistical, and industrial processes. In addition, consultants who help businesses understand and implement AI technology could benefit as well as those with differentiated data sets. We don't believe that AI language models will replace traditional web-based searches. Our view is that AI will be complementary to search since these knowledge models are not fact-based, but rather a function of data that can access combined with training protocols applied to the development and thus the vulnerable are vulnerable to error. We think it is likely that the rising tide of AI will lift all boats and result in other advantageous but current players in the, eco in the ecosystem. Then we're going to need to look at who's going to get disrupted by all this. Well, traditionally, AI models capture accumulated knowledge. They do the same things employers do, although they're with better memory and no emotion. At a minimum, they'll be well-suited for driving the automation of two routine tasks, workflow and, and reconciliation. Generative AI and language models will take this step further, can be used as a, a creative force in producing images, video, and text, plus potentially threatening the careers of programmers, writers, graphic designers, video editors. As a result, software solutions may become redundant, single product or horizontal solutions appear most at risk, as are those dedicated to organizing, structuring, and analyzing data. So what are the concerns about the uh, social societal impacts? There's always going to be bad actors, always going to be an area of concern. In conclusion, we will remain, or, uh, we remain early in the evolution and adoption the cycle of generative AI. Improvements in adoption appear poised to accelerate. As for the popularity, it, it, it took well-known internet platforms a couple of years to reach the 1 million user mark. Popular social media websites, only a few months to do that. But chat, but chat, chat GDP, all, only five days to gather the same following and only two months to reach 100 million users. There is no doubt technology is evolving and growing at this pace will cause issues along the way, but with, no, with so much at stake, technology companies will be forced to play in this space. Going to be an interesting challenge. We're going to see a lot of changes in the future here. In our view, AI is a tool to deliver the next technological revolution, generate AI languages, learning models and facilitate the changes. Unlike previous technologies, these tools were not simply solutions, seeking a problem, but a potential solution to many different problems. We believe the impacts will be felt beyond both traditional search and technology companies, and it'll have broader implications for every industry. There currently, there are only a few, a lot, there's a lot of excitement about AI. We're just gonna have to keep an eye on where this is headed. Great investment opportunities are gonna be created. Been Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here in KGMI. We're running out of time as always. I want to thank you for being with us. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Thank you and have a great week.
voiced on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.